Welcome to the Antioch Community Church Podcast. We are a church located in the downtown Birmingham area where we desire to be with and like Jesus and help others do the same for the glory of God. We hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Well, don't mind the reindeer back there. Apparently Santa and his reindeer are here. Uh, I don't know if you can hear I hear them. Is it just me? Maybe I have this, maybe, maybe I'm an elf. Maybe I'm so, maybe I belong in, uh, maybe I belong in the North Pole. Um, I, uh, I have a distinct memory of being in uh, the sixth grade and getting off of the bus at school and walking across the courtyard into the building. And as I was walking across this courtyard, I look over and across the way I see this couple that's in eighth grade and they were you know there was just something about it's like, so cool it's like and they're, they're dating and like he has his arm around her and I'm like they just felt so old in that moment so mature and I was like they they obviously know what they're doing I mean like I still look back and I, I had that couple in my mind I'm like they were 35 at that time they were eight they were really 30, they were 13 but in my mind they're 35 and I still think of them as 35 like that much older more mature than me and it's like man they've got it figured out and then you know the same thing happens when you get into high school it's like well the seniors oh my gosh like they're four years older than you but you know they feel like 30 years older than you and they of course they've they know what they're doing and then you get into college and you're a freshman and you you know you know nothing about the real world and but these seniors are about to enter into the real world and you're like of course they've got it figured out and you get out of college and then it's like you kind of lose uh you just kind of start floating through your 20s and then, at least for me, I landed at 30. I'll let you guess how deep into my 30s uh, I am. I landed at 30, and all of a sudden I was like, wait a second. I don't think anybody knows what they're doing at all. It doesn't matter how much older you are. Like, nobody knows what they're doing. Everybody's trying to figure out life, and half the time we're just pretending, and we're honestly a lot more dependent than we think we are. You know, I think... Uh, in our culture, we really like to, uh, to pride ourselves in being independent. Uh, and, you know, to some degree, we are. But the reality is, is every single one of us at any given moment is just kind of a, a mashup of whatever we're taking in and whatever we have taken in. And those things come together and they kind of make us into who and what we are. Psalm 1, this, this first psalm right out of the gates, it does a number of things. But what I'm going to kind of focus on today is, is the fact that it, it kind of zeroes in and just acknowledges this reality that every single person who has ever lived has no idea what they're doing and is trying to figure it out. And in trying to figure it out, we, regardless of what faith you are, regardless of where you live, we love to overcomplicate things. That's just... You know, it's just what we like to do, because I don't know if it's in overcomplicating things that we feel better about ourselves, but Psalm 1 comes out of the gate with this acknowledgement, nobody knows what they're doing, and actually the way forward is a lot more simple than probably any of us really want to admit. Not so easy, and that is, that is true of so much of following Jesus is that it's, it's simple, 
but it's not necessarily easy. And so um, as we're doing today, Psalm 1, uh, we are entering into a new a series, a shorter series, it's going to be five weeks where we look at uh, a different psalm each week throughout the book of Psalms, because the book of Psalms is, um, it, it's this it's amazing um, real life, I mean, the Bible is so much more honest about life than, than we are really, uh, than I am in ministry, one of the kind of, you know, sugarcoat things. The Bible is just, I mean, is very honest, and the Psalms are very honest in giving uh, these expressions of, of all kind of human, every kind of experience or emotion you could have. And it begins to give you words for those things and also some handles of how to navigate them. And so in Psalm 1, that's what we see with this kind of sense of, of like not knowing what we're doing, wanting to add up to something, not really knowing the way forward, and needing some, some guidance. So I want you to look with me in Psalm 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now, if you have been here for our series preceding this in the Beatitudes, um, I, this was not an intentional segue, but this is pretty good if you, if you can remember back to, which I know we've all slept since the last Sunday and the Sundays before that, so it's okay, but blessed, Jesus starts his teaching with this same thing, blessed are those. And then here's the Psalms, starting with blessed is the man, blessed is the person who, and so I just want to pause there for a second and whether or not you were with us at all for our previous series, Walking Through the Beatitudes, or not, just to throw this out there, that the Bible and the God of the Bible is more concerned with your quality of life than you think that he is. And it's always more, the way to get there is always more surprising than we think it is. And it's not the route that we would take. The good life comes through quite an upside down thing, which is, uh, as we saw in the Beatitudes, and we'll see here. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What happens uh, in this psalm is it kind of splits it up into two different opposing ways to live life. It gives on one hand, um, where basically the first two verses are where you can kind of get your influence from be it the world or what this says is the law of the lord two immediate outcomes of that so either you're planted like a tree by streams of water getting nourished and refreshed all the time and bearing fruit or you have no roots and you're essentially hollowed out and you can just be blown away with the wind and then ultimately it gives two different, not only immediate outcomes, but eternal outcomes as well. One is able to stand in the judgment, and one is not able to stand in the judgment. And in doing so, you know, it pits these two against each other, which, you know, honestly, to our modern ears, we don't like that. This idea that there's, you know, the wicked, or, or sinners, or scoffers. And it sounds so us versus them. And, you know, I mean, I think we need to read this in light of Jesus, because this is not the end, right? Jesus, he, and he helps us interpret all this in the Old Testament. But he was very clear. I mean, it's what he models, what he lived, to be in the world, but not of the world. 
One of the most famous Bible verses is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave up his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God loves sinners. You and I are, are in that category, right? This is not an us versus thing then. And excuse me, I'm not getting emotional up here. Uh, this, I'm just having some allergies today, so excuse me. Oh, I might get emotional. We'll see. Um, maybe not. Well, yeah, you won't be able to tell. Um, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers. This kind of progression, almost downward, walking, standing, and then sitting, as opposed to delighting in the law of the Lord, which, as soon as you hear that word law, you know, our minds immediately go to, uh, to obedience. And to some degree, it rightfully should. You know, I mean, I think that's, that's an obvious kind of implication um, that we are called to Love God by obeying Him. That, that's a part of it. But this doesn't say that the one who is blessed, the one who is fortunate or to be envied or to be congratulated, have this enviable life, is not the one who necessarily does the law, although that's certainly assumed, but it's one who delights in the law. This is getting to the heart, as so much of the Bible does. I mean, it's easy for us to project onto it. It's just this kind of religious moral code, and he, you know, I, I just kind of check the boxes. Um, but so often, the Bible is bringing us to the heart. It's going deeper. The one who delights in his law. It's about a posture of your heart. Because as, as and this whole, you know, you think about it, it's like, why, why would it be tempting to go towards the counsel of the wicked? Whoever that might be. Basically, it's anything outside of God's wisdom and counsel. Why would that be tempting? Well, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3, this is part of the, one of the enemy's major schemes. If you go back to Genesis 3, what you see is with Adam and Eve, there's this serpent who we then later in, in scriptures know is he is you know personification of the enemy. And the first thing he does after God has made everything good and made them very good, and he's walking and talking with them in the day, in the garden, and then all of a sudden this snake comes out of nowhere and starts talking, and we don't know if that was normal or not, but it happens. And then the first thing he says is, did God actually say? Did God really say? What God had said was, Everything is good for you to eat. Enjoy all of it, but this one tree I don't want you to eat. If you eat of that one, you will die. So death didn't exist yet. If you do this, you will die. And then this, the enemy comes in and starts saying, well, did God actually say? He starts casting doubt and causing, sowing seeds of distrust in their hearts, which is, that's the, you know, if you cut open uh, and did an anatomy of, of temptation and sin, that's oftentimes where it starts. This thing that God said is good, the enemy wants to say, well, that's not good. He wants to cast doubt that it is beneficial, that it is satisfying, that it is true, that it is good, that it is beautiful. Did God actually say? And then if you go on to continue looking at how the enemy kind of gets in there, is then he starts to make this this opposing promise. He tells them straight up, you won't die. He just flat out 
calls God a liar and gives us opposing truth. You won't die. And obviously we know what happened. We, saw, we see that Adam and Eve both were tempted. They saw that this fruit was desirable and it was able to make them wise because the enemy also said you'd be like God. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to know about good and evil. He doesn't really, he, he's this insecure, you know, Wizard of Oz kind of guy behind the curtain. He doesn't want you to peel it back and see he's not really all that powerful. And we know how that goes. And ever since then, um, there has been a distrust in our hearts towards the goodness of God. And our hearts are prone to not trust his counsel or his way or his seat. And we end up going to others for counsel of how to get the good life, this blessed life. Rather than our hearts delighting in the law of the Lord. Jesus tells a, a really vivid story about this. Because what the enemy is doing is he's driving a wedge between our hearts and God's heart. That's ultimately what is happening. God is never afraid to make his heart known, what he really thinks, what he really thinks about you and about us. And, and, but the enemy wants to come in and get in between that, and in so doing, create this relational distance, right? Sin is not just doing bad things. It's, it's relational rejection. It's relational distance. And Jesus tells this story in Luke 15 about how that relational uh, distance and that wedge gets worked out in two equal yet opposite ways. And this is probably a story that's familiar to all of us or to most of us. Um, It's one of the most well-known in the Bible. But I want to walk through it and just, if it is really familiar to you, I want to invite you to just acknowledge that, but also just keep your heart open to whatever the Holy Spirit might be wanting to say to you today. So Jesus tells the story of a dad and his two sons in Luke 15. It's an older brother, younger brother. The younger brother, one day, says to his dad, I want my inheritance. Which, still to this day, how do you get an inheritance? They, you know, whoever it's coming from, they have to be dead. And so what he was saying is, you are dead to me. I I no longer want relationship with you. He completely relationally rejects his father. And he puts that distance between them. And his father says, all right, sure. And so he gives him a bag of cash and jewels and whatever, you know, whatever kind of currency they had back in the day. He takes it, turns around, and walks off. And it says specifically that he went into a far country somewhere far away. And in that far country, it said that he squandered his money. What we end up finding out later on in the story is that he spent most, if not all, on prostitution. Gave himself into a lifestyle that he thought, you know, was you know, gonna be like skydiving compared to you know, what we can think of as like God's law. It's just like you know, riding on a little kitty bike with, with training wheels. And so he rejects all that, and he goes out here to go skydiving, spends all of his money, and he ends up one day waking up to realize, 
He's spent his last coin, and he has nothing left. He's far away from home. He can't eat, and so he decides to sell himself into slavery and works to try to get some food on his plate. And this guy that he sells himself to says, well, yeah, you can go feed the pigs. And that's all he does. He just lets him go feed his, his pigs. And he's out there working with the pigs, and he has this moment where he's like, he's, he's rejected his family. He's spent his last penny. He has nothing left. He's hungry. And he's looking at, you know, what the pigs are eating. And it talks about how he has this moment of like, he, he just wishes he could be eating what they were eating. He was that desperate, that miserable. And in that moment, he came to himself and he thought, well, maybe it will be better for me if I could be a hired servant for my dad on his farm, because at least there, maybe he would let me have some food. And so he prepares this speech that he's going to give his dad. Because in that moment, he decides, I'm going to go back. But he knows, if I go back, and if I don't manipulate this just right, I mean, he has every reason just to, you know, say, get out of here. You, know, you are dead to me, too. You took your inheritance. And so he's like, okay, I, you know, I need to get this right. Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven and earth. And he's asking for his forgiveness. And he's like, just, if only I could be, I'm, not, I'm no longer worthy to be a son. Just make me into a servant. And so it says that he turned around and he started walking back home. And he got over the crest of the hill and it says his father saw him, said that he had compassion on him in his heart. And he ran to him and he hugged him and embraced him and he kissed him. And then, as his dad is hugging him and embracing him and kissing him, the son still doesn't get it. And then he starts giving his speech about why his dad should let him be, you know, just a servant. He can't be a son, but just a servant. And he can't even get it all out. And the dad says, it's time to throw a party. And so he goes and he, he gets his, the rest of his servants to get a party ready. And they throw a party. He brings out the robe and he puts it on him. Gives him a ring on his finger. A sign of honor. He'd already spent all of his inheritance. He's giving him more. And then this party starts. And then there's the older brother who hears it. Here's the music, and he calls for one of the servants, and he asks him, what's going on? And the servant said, well, your brother has returned home. Your dad's throwing a party. And we're given a window into his heart, just as the father had compassion. The older brother said was angered. He was angry that his brother came back, and not just that he came back, but that his, he got a party. This is the brother who never left. And it said that he would not go to the party. The next thing that happens is the father hears about this. He, he leaves the party. And he goes to his older brother, or the older son. And he asks him, you know, why, why won't you come in? And he says, because I've been here my entire life. I've never broken any of the things that you've asked me to do. I've done my work. I didn't take my inheritance early. And you've never thrown me a party. I mean, he's just, it's kind of like pitiful and he's sulking. But on the other hand, it's like, I get it. If that was me, 
And the father says, you don't understand. You have me. I'm always with you. You're always with me. And also, everything that I have is yours. And yet the son, the older son, still won't come into the party. Both sons were disconnected from their father's heart. The first through just hatred and love of the world and love of things that he thought would give him satisfaction. And then later on, through thinking that his father would only be willing to welcome him back as a servant, never as a son, neither one really saw themselves, their primary relationship with their father as father-son. It was revolved around something more works-based, it feels like. The older son is saying, well, I've been here doing my thing. And, and, and the father's like, that's true, and I'm glad. But am I not enough? Is your relationship with me not enough? And the fact that, yeah, you also have an inheritance too. That wedge that was driven between the two sons' hearts and their father's hearts, Jesus uses that to describe the two ways that the wedge between your heart and your father's heart can manifest itself. One is in by running far away. You're like, I hate God. I heard Matt Chandler say this one time. I was like, that's, that's so brilliant. He's like, you know, it's so easy to say if you're one of those people who's like, I hate God and I'm running away from him. I don't believe in God and I hate him. It's like, well, no, there, there is a... Well, why do you hate, you know? There, there's something you're pushing against. But on the other hand, and, you know, preaching to the choir for the most part, you're here, you know, on a Sunday afternoon in church. Just as distanced from the Father, you can be and be a, you know, A++++ Christian. And you too, your heart can be completely distanced from the Father. And actually, you end up with no delight in Him and His law at all. You just see it as duty. D-U-T-Y, for clarification. You just see it as something you're supposed to do. It's not to clarify that. Something you're supposed to do. There, there's no affection. There's no love. There's no... If you're just honest, does your heart feel dry? Or does it feel hardened? Or does it feel distanced? Or do you feel a little bit jaded of like, I feel like I've done a lot for Jesus and then this is my life. Maybe you don't have a person you can think of that's like, well, I can't believe that they would be able to get into the kingdom. You might. There might be somebody that has it's angered you that they've gotten in because you're like, this isn't fair. Or something you could think of that if they did. But it might just be that you feel like God hasn't thrown you a party. Whatever that party for you might be. And yet he's saying to you, but I'm with you. Everything that I have is yours. I don't know which of the two sons today, might be different tomorrow, 
might have been different yesterday. I think we can go back and forth between the two. I know I can. I don't know which of the two you most identify with today. Where that wedge has separated your heart from the Father's heart today. But the amazing thing about what the Father did in this story and what he does with every one of us over and over again is the Father gives his heart first. He doesn't wait for you to give your heart first. I mean, you might think, well, didn't the younger brother, didn't he come running? Or didn't he come back home? It's like, well, yeah, he did, but only to be a servant, never a son. And that might be you. You might be thinking, I, I could never really be a son or a daughter because of maybe things I've done or plenty of things that I know I should do but I haven't done. I could never have that status as a son or a daughter. Well, guess what? That isn't your decision to make. The Father, and the compassion in his heart, he is the one who comes running and he overrides your tiny little Grinch heart that says, I can only be a servant. And he embraces you and hugs you and kisses you and puts a robe on you and says, you're a son, you're a daughter. Because I say so. Because of my compassion. Because of my mercy. Because of my love. And also to the older brother. The same thing. He says, you can come in. Jesus he did. He was hard on the Pharisees in his day. He was really hard on them. He was very patient and compassionate um, and gentle with the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors. He was hard on the Pharisees, but he loved them too. Jesus stood up over Jerusalem and his heart broke for the Israelites who wouldn't come to him. He wanted to gather them like hens under her wing to himself and they wouldn't come. Jesus, he, I mean, literally, when he's on the cross, this is, this is the amazing thing. He actually literally has his heart poured out for you. He's on the cross, taking your place so that you can come into the place that he has. And he literally has a spear put into his side, and it says it pierces his heart. And blood and water poured out. That, that is... God does not expect you to delight in him before you know that he has delighted in you. And it is by knowing that he has delighted in you and welcomed you freely as a son or a daughter that can, that's the only thing that can like jumpstart your heart. That's the only thing that can you know, fall out your heart and your life. And we see that most clearly on the cross where Jesus, who is... The, the image of the invisible God, he shows us really what this maybe abstract, invisible God is like. We see him perfectly and clearly and fully in Jesus. There's a great um, story about um, Russell Moore, who uh, maybe about 20 years ago or so, adopted, he and his wife adopted uh, two little boys, one years old, from Russia. And he tells this story about, you know, he and his wife get into the orphanage that first time, and they go into the orphanage, and they were just struck 
and concerned by what they experienced. And what they experienced was not you know, neglect of the kids or bad conditions. It was just the fact that, surprisingly and amazingly, these rooms full of cribs were completely silent. And it wasn't the middle of the night. It was the middle of the day. I have three young kids. That is not normal. Should not be quiet. And it's dead silent. And then they came back the next day. Same thing. Next day, same thing. And as they got to talking to some of the people that worked there, they were asking them, you know, what is going on? And they began to share that, you know, they were doing the best that they could to care for all of these kids. But the reality is that infants, if their cries are not responded to enough over time, they actually stop crying. They actually, start, they actually stop reaching out for help. They actually stop crying out. And he tells a story that it was, they'd been there for about a month, coming periodically to the orphanage, visiting their boys where they're finalizing everything for the, the adoption. And this last day, they go into the orphanage. It's, it's dead quiet. They've got their two boys um, in their cribs in this little section because this is, you know, this is the final day. And he said that he would never forget it, that he went over to the crib and he just spoke something to the boy, said his name, I think. And out of nowhere, the boy just starts screaming and crying. And he said it was in that moment that he realized this, uh, this biblical adoption thing that he had known and believed for so long. It became real to him because in that moment, somehow this little infant realized there is somebody out there that knows me and cares for me and loves me and is going through many sacrifices to bring me into their family. The enemy doesn't want you to realize that. That's a dangerous thing for the, the kingdom of darkness. To know that even if you think you're a servant, just like the younger son, you might be in that servant mindset where the father's hugging you and embracing you and kissing you and you're like repeating your little story. But the reality is, is you're a son, you're a daughter because of his love, because of his sacrifice, because of his work, in spite of all of your own. This delighting in the law of the Lord. You know, it's, it's only possible when there is that realization that, okay, this is, this is what the whole law was pointing to in the first place. You know, that I couldn't do it on my own. And that I wasn't supposed to in the first place. And that what this is calling us to is, what it's calling you to is to open up your heart afresh every day to allow your heart to connect with your father's heart afresh every day delighting in his law meditating on it day and night you know not not just yesterday's lunch daily bread but today not last month's or last year's but today open your heart up to that so i think a great uh picture of this somebody really exemplifies this uh, from uh, a couple centuries ago, Susanna Wesley. 
she had, quite frankly, a horrible life. She was married to a pastor who had, who ended up um, defrauding their church and lost his ministry role. She had 10 kids. She had lost nine of them in infanthood. She was pregnant 19 times. Their house burned down twice. And all throughout her life, she basically parented these 10 kids by herself because her husband, I mean, just had a really dysfunctional marriage. And she would, she, she homeschooled the kids. She would educate them six hours a day and then, you know, spend one hour per kid per week, individual time with them. So she's, you know, she's got 10 kids. She's mourning the loss of nine. She's doing it alone with this kind of deadweight husband. And somehow, amazingly, she's able to figure out a way in the craziness of that life to do just this, to delight in his law and to meditate on it day and night. We only have three kids, and it's almost impossible to get any alone time. So what Susanna Wesley would do is when she was cooking, she would have her apron on and she would just pull it up over her head. All the kids were running around and that was her prayer closet. That's where, I almost wore an apron today during this sermon. I chose not to. She would pull it up over her head and her kids knew, mom is in her prayer closet. She's not to be bothered. And she spent that time with the Lord there being refreshed, being renewed, being challenged, being confronted, being comforted, being consoled. She had every excuse, right? I have no excuses compared to Susanna Wesley. And yet she found a way because she knew that if she wanted her, her life to be successful, to make a difference, to be like a tree planted by streams of water, she would have to meditate on his law day and night. And so she, she made that time and place. She made it happen. And the amazing thing is, of those 10 kids, two of them, John and Charles Wesley, went on to take international heights of fame and influence. And actually, one of them penned a hymn, which is tattooed on my arm. So thank you, Susanna, for praying. Basically, the entire Methodist movement that's like 80 million people strong in 130 nations is essentially attributed to her and her time and her apron with her, with it over her head. Just a woman committed, that is a tree planted by streams of water. Now, your life may not bear that much fruit, but the promise is here, that when you choose to delight yourself in the one who delights in you, to not stand back as a servant, but to come as a son or a daughter, that over time, day by day, you will be renewed, you will be strengthened, you will find strength and energy to be beneficial to your family, to your community, to the world. So let's be like Susanna Wesley, not making any excuses because we, we want to delight, not because we have to, but because we delight in him because being in his presence transforms us. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I just wanna give you about 60 seconds just to, uh, just to reflect. 
Just to think about anything maybe the Holy Spirit brought to your mind in these last few moments. May have been something that, just a part of one of the verses, may have been something I said, may have been something completely outside of that, that the Holy Spirit just brought to your mind. I just want to give you a second to just reflect and to talk with your Father. The Holy Spirit, we say thank you for the fact that you use the Word of God to do what we've just seen in this psalm, to plant us like trees, by streams of water that can be constantly refreshed and keep growing and bear fruit. So Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you again. Maybe we have... But we know we've gotten to a place where we, if we're honest with you with ourselves, we are not. We're distrustful of you. We're, we're doubting your goodness. Father, give us the courage to claim our status as your sons and your daughters. And to know that you make this promise that we will prosper in all that we do as we just simply give our hearts to you afresh every day. Have mercy on us and help us walk in that discipline and experience that kind of comfort and refreshing and transformation that comes because of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad you joined us today. If you would like to stay connected with us, visit our website at antiochbhm.com, where you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like to speak with someone about what was shared today, please email us at info at antiochbhm.com. Go in peace.